0: In today's episode of The Breakthrough Factor, I talk with Lindsay Swanson, a certified financial planner who focuses her time on helping sex workers navigate inequality and discrimination in our financial services system. Lindsay has faced challenges at almost every turn, from having unsupportive parents who withheld her high school transcript so that she wouldn't be able to go to college, to having to face prejudice in the workplace when she sought out opportunities to level up in her career, The empathy she learned through these experiences, though, eventually fueled her to open her own planning practice, Stripper Financial Planning, where she is now advocating for and educating sex workers to be able to utilize the social structures we have in place here in America to help build wealth for themselves and their futures. Welcome and
1: thank you for joining us on The Breakthrough Factor, a podcast and YouTube show where your host, Jess Boss, interviews entrepreneurs, athletes, and financial professionals to find out what it takes to break through barriers to health, wealth, and taking ownership of your life. If you're feeling stuck in your career or seeking advice on how to overcome obstacles all the way to building your fitness and finances, this is a show
0: for you. So today I have with me Lindsay Swanson. I am, oh my word, I am so excited about this. Interview because her story, the first time I heard it, I think I'd picked my jaw up off the ground a thousand times. And I'm Lindsay Swanson, I'm a certified financial planner representative, um, and I run
1: my own firm out in Northern California called Stripper Financial Planning. So I specifically work with sex workers. Um, so we work on financial planning, kind of talking about the specific um, complications that come from their industry. It's a very stigmatized area of an occupation, and a lot of people don't understand it or want to touch it at
0: all, so um, I'm happy to have started my firm to be able to work specifically with those folks. That's awesome. So you started into this industry, you know, right out of high school, or just in that in that younger. You did not go to college first, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I had an interesting path. I um, When I graduated from high school, um, I had a tough break with my parents. And so I um, needed to start supporting myself right away financially. And I grew up in a household that was like, women aren't good at money. You're not good at math. And I absolutely believed that. I wasn't really given the resources to learn that. I was homeschooled and we just didn't have good curriculum for it. And so um, I really carried that into my early adulthood. But what that meant is just like, Starting out feeling like I'm an absolute failure at this. So I like I have to try hard. It's not going to come naturally. Um, And so I started really like leaning into honestly, just Google of like, what are what are fundamentals of finance? What do I need to know to be secure, to protect myself, to have um, you know, safety and security. Um, and part of what that looked like is being like, okay, rather than, you know, working in retail or in, you know, fast food or something like that, I really want to work in a small business so I can start to build my resume because I didn't have, I didn't have a, like a great high school transcript or a bunch of, you know, extracurriculars or connections to get me into the workforce. Um, so I probably didn't start, let's see, I want to say I didn't start going to college until, maybe like 2014, 2015. Um, and it was because I was at this just so happens a fee only firm. I was working at like the front desk doing like client service associate stuff. And, and um, I met these CFPs cause we had an open office and, um, And they, they really held tight to the fiduciary mindset. So they were really putting their clients first. So they would like talk on the phone and they would be like super nice to their clients, which is normal. And then they would hang up. And usually that's where people like kind of cut the shit. And they're like, this annoying person, like, why are they like this? Why can't they just listen to me? And they would continue in the same tone of like, I just hope I could find a way to figure this out for them, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's it. Like, that's the shit. That's what I want to do.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So it, but it took me until it it took me until that point. So I was working in finance for quite a few years before I got to the point where I was like, I think this is a career for me, and I think that this is like a reason to go to college and to get my CFP.
0: Cool. I am so curious about now. You were in this RIA. You decided to go yeah. back to college because the CFP. Um, for those of you who don't know much about the CFP, it is a Uh, designation that uh, financial professionals can earn. It requires you to have at least three years of experience in the field. It can be any experience. It doesn't have to be client facing, but you do have to have three years of experience in the field. And you also have to have an undergraduate degree in order to be able to sit for and you can sit for the CFP and pass it but you won't earn the designation until you also have an undergraduate. So, at this point in time, you're well into an understanding that you want to be in, you know, financial in, a CFP in financial services. Yeah. But you don't have a college degree. So, no, I don't. And so I was to
1: go back? It was, and as like a proper nerd, I wrote a research paper on it. I was like, let's get into it, like let's put out all of the details, and then let's let's convince myself that like this is a good financial prompt. Like I'm gonna oh, obviously yeah. it costs money to go to college, and so I was like, you know, I'm a planner you at heart, are so perfect. I was like, let's the figure, figure field. out. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, we're going to figure out like, is the, is the promise of future compensation and like the, the satisfaction of career. So I have this like whole opportunity cost um, calculation I did, which was really cute. Like bless my little heart. Um, Yeah. But it wasn't, um, it's funny because now I summarize it as like, yeah, I decided to go to college and blah, blah, blah. That was a super big decision for me. um, Because again, as I mentioned, uh, my family was really religious and Um, they very much hold tightly to gender roles. And so they didn't see any purpose in women going to college. But part of that, part of what was hard is that I was homeschooled and my parents had my high school, um, transcript. I, like, almost oh, lost man. my train of thought. My yeah. high school transcript. And so you, if you've ever gone to college, you know that to apply to college, you have to have your high school transcript. So it was, like, a real problem for me because they wouldn't give it to me because they weren't supportive of me going to college, which, like, isn't that cute. um, And so <laughs> they just, like, wouldn't and i was like i feel like you have to but it's not when you're homeschooled a lot of people don't know this this isn't like filed with the state or the country anywhere if you go to public school or to like a private school you could just call the institution and get it from them there was no one for me to call so i was kind of like shit out of luck this is um, such and a i was flaw. like okay such a flaw in the system <laughs> it's it's a really and and whenever people are like now now especially with the pandemic people are like you know I might just like homeschool and live in a van you know and kind of like go out on the road and just like experiment with my kids education and I'm like oh my god please don't do that it really fucked me up (laughs) like please don't do it um but you can't say that so I have to be like yeah that would be alternative that'd be kind of cool I wonder if they would like learn to read and write and stuff that would be interesting um yeah I'm not fun. Um, But anyway, so it was like a real problem because I was like, how do I get into college? And so um, I wanted to go and I eventually did go to the University of Alabama because they have an online program um, that encompasses the CFP curriculum. And so I was like, this is awesome. I'll do it all at once. Great. Um, I couldn't get in without my high school transcript. I like asked them. I was like, because I've been in customer service for a while. So that's like all of my job just being like, what if we didn't have to do that? And you just like said it was fine anyway. And they were like, no, that's not how it works. And I was like, okay. So what I ended up doing is going to community college because they don't give a fuck. They're like, (laughs) it'll be like 45 minutes till like the semester starts. And they're like, yeah, you can go in there. Like pay us or like don't. Just remember to pay us at some point. Um, I love community <laughs> college. Um, anyway, so I started going to community college which like um, I, I give a lot of shit to community college. I had really good teachers there. It was a really good I went to uh, Southeast Community College in Nebraska. It, it's a really good school. I have nothing but good things to say about them. I just mm-hmm. I liked the prompt that they'll really just take anyone and I appreciate yes. that because I needed, yeah. I needed that prompt of like I have nothing to prove to you yes. that I'm going to be a good student, um, which I think is, you know, kind of a flaw in our education system, but I won't get into that. Like, it's not my fault that I didn't learn things while I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I went to community college, um, and started to get like my general credits that could transfer over. And the beautiful thing about that is you don't have to like prove that you went to high school. Like I did, but I didn't have to prove it. So I started to make a transcript at the community college. And then I was able to use that to transfer over to, um, not higher ed, but um, the University of Alabama, um, which was great because um, I was able to get into that. Um, and I always wanted to like, write there. an article about that in case. Yeah. Yeah. In case there's like any like other cult kids out there that yeah. are like, how do I go to college? Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I um, ended up getting into the program, but I guess to back up a bit, getting ahead of myself, I, the interesting thing is, um, you know, people were relatively encouraging of me being in finance just because it's like a a stable career. Um, But coming into that job as like basically the pretty face at the front desk, they really Mm. weren't supportive of me becoming a CFP. And I think it's because I hadn't gone to college before and they hadn't really seen they hadn't seen me do, like, intense work besides the tasks that I was given to, like, file papers and things like that. Um, and it was, yeah. it was hard because they were kind of like, like, you could, but it's really hard. And I was like, yeah, okay. And it was interesting because that was definitely, like, not <laughs> – it it wasn't the communication that was being given to other like young men around me. But for me at the time I was already married and I'm married to an engineer. And so they were kind of like, you can have a really good life here and like your husband has a good career and like you could go into operations here and you don't have to get a degree. And like, I don't know why you'd choose to do something really hard. And that was hard for me. Um, but luckily I have the personality type, that I'm like, well, then I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to prove it to you. Um,
0: So you get your CFP, and then uh, what do you do? Did you you stay at the firm? Like, how did that? um, What was the next step? I mean, because it sounds like there was a little bit of resistance.
1: There's a lot of just sexism and misogyny and racism and homophobia at the firms that I worked at, and I had a really hard time with it. Um, I'm definitely a person that like changes every year. Every year I read new books and then I want to apply it. And so when I see stuff that's not congruent with like the new best, best version of myself, I'm like, hey, that's not cool. Um, and I just I had a really hard time staying at firms because I, I just ethically wasn't on the same page as them. Um, and, and that was really hard. And I think that that happens a lot to not just women, but, you know, minorities in the financial services like you'll look at someone's resume and it's like oh you're only at this firm for six months or you were only there for a year or two and like why are you job hopping and there's not like a good way to explain like I left that job because I was sexually assaulted or I left that job because I was harassed or I left that job because like they were being straight up like very very racist um yeah and and that's that's really hard for me and um especially since the, the average RAA is only like six people. And if they have an HR department, it's really just kind of like a figurehead. Like it doesn't count because usually the people, usually the people that are doing the negative things are the owners or they're high producers. Um, and so it, right. it, you know, nothing is done. And, um, you know, we talked a, a little bit uh, before the show and I won't get too much into it, but, um, the one of the first firms I worked at, um, and I was in my early 20s, 29 now, um, so a number of years ago, um, they would give out um, lingerie to all of the female employees during Christmas time. It was like the partners would give out, the part male partners, it's 60, 70 something, would give out lingerie. And I was like, oh, I was like just becoming my like new little like baby feminist self. And I was like, I think that that's not something I'm comfortable with. So like, as an adult, I'm going to have a meeting, right? Isn't that cute? I was like, I'm going to have a meeting with my managers and I'm going to talk about like, you know, why I'm not cool with this. And I I was like, you know, I'm just not comfortable with getting lingerie from my boss. I don't think like it's a, it's a, um, appropriate prompt. I don't know how to respond to it. And so I was basically, they did it at the Christmas party every year. And so I was basically like, I'm just not going to go to the Christmas party if that's going to happen because that's a boundary that I don't want to cross. And it was a real, like, I remember when um, I had one of the middle management bosses. And so I remember hearing the meeting where the middle management boss was telling the partner that they can't do that anymore. And he, like, was yelling and he, like, stormed out. And they stopped doing it. You're welcome, people that work there. Um, (laughs) But they stopped doing it, but it was, like, That was something that was written in my, like, employment record for that company of, like, she's not a good cultural fit. Like, she's not a team player. Like, she doesn't know how to have a good time. And it, like, really negatively, like, when I asked for promotions in the future, it was one of those things that came up of, like, you know, we just think that you aren't on the same page as everyone else. Um, and that's like incredibly not specifically the laundry, but that's incredibly common in this industry of just like horrific things happening, and then you leaving and having to deal with the fact that you were only there for six months, and now you have to explain it to someone else.
0: Yeah, that you are right about that, and the context of those conversations gets written into your record differently than maybe than the experience exel, itself, right? So. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we could spend hours on that alone. But just suffice to say that this is the reason if you see young females job hopping through uh, financial services, and it's a pattern, you you should at least consider that this is potentially the reason why.
1: Yeah. It's one of the things that I've really found that I've changed a lot over my life, even though I'm, I'm not that old. I've just, I've changed a lot each year and especially from, you know, how I grew up. And the thing that has been driving me is really just empathy. Like even growing up really religious, like I was like, okay, you know, like love the sinner, hate the sin, that whole vibe. Um, but I didn't see how, when I went to apply that, like when I finally, because I grew up in the Midwest, so I didn't really meet anyone who was different. From me for a very long time. So when I started to meet people that were different, I was like, "That actually is kind of shitty, like that approach." And I was like, "I, I don't like. I don't think that's empathetic." And like just to follow, it's like not my gut best, yeah, my best version of myself. I'm like, "That's not, that's not understanding their perspective." And so that's you know been something that really, as I've left firms, as I've, and as I've figured out like what type of professional I want to be, that's been a force that. That is pushing me in that direction of like at some point when I have power, when I have success, when I have the right amount of experience, when I have the right designations, I want this to be different. Like I want my impact to be different. Mm-hmm. And that's really what has kind of led me into like each firm I had hoped that I could find a place there and find find a purpose and like a client focus that like really spoke to how I view humanity and mm-hmm. who I want to serve and that was just really hard. Really as soon as I I felt like I had the opportunity to start my own company, that's what I that's, that's what, what I did. did. Yeah. And that's what I did. And it's interesting because like that is really what the industry tells you to do. Like they're basically like, well, if you have a problem with this, then like you should start your own business where like your opinion will matter once you have your like name on the building. Um, and so I was kind of like, you know, I, I I think that's a stupid answer because not everyone wants to start a company. Not everyone is in the place. Like you can't like a single mom with like toddlers is not going to start a company. Like that's not the right choice. Like you need, you need the structure of like benefits. Um, but I felt like I was in a place where I really could, and so I just kind of like jump ship, and then I was like, you know, if I'm going to do it, let's be the most authentic version of myself. Like, let's work with the, let's work with the stigmatized people around me. Like, let's have a completely different fee model. Let's, you know, like be an authentic version of who I am, and not try to put on, you know, a charade of like the most professional version of me. Which is why I'm
0: wearing a t-shirt. I love it. And, too, it sounds like in your story, because you're right, I mean, we talked earlier before this, so I could get – I'm so glad we did because there's so much here. <laughs> you and I can turn this into, like, a show, not just an episode. <laughs> <laughs> For but, sure, yeah. Um, but it sounds like, you know, that that piece about you that kept pushing you to do more to – uh, shift to a different place because of your values and how important those values were to you, the empathy that you mentioned, the, the fact that you cared about someone as a whole person instead of just an aspect of them. Bringing that into your practice and marketing is the wrong word in this situation because it's too corporate, but showing up as that person in your community has been one of the key factors in you connecting with the people that you're that you're working with now and it sounds you know we talked about there's a was a little bit of a journey to get to sex workers as your you know niche client but it was almost like you were destined to be there because of the way that you know you of these things that are about you that you've just been chasing down for as long as you've been in financial services. So, what is it that's connected I, you yeah. to these people specifically?
1: Um, so, I will just real quick. One of the nice things about like publicly, I guess, um, connecting with a niche in my case, sex workers, is that people do come out of the cracks. So, initially when I started, I was like, "No one else is doing this, so I'm just gonna do it because like." there's not an expert out there. Like if there what I was initially looking for is someone who had experience in sex work and then became a financial professional and then was really leaning into this and, and, and had all of those experiences. I didn't find that yeah. person. And so I was like, yeah. you know, there, there is a struggle anytime you don't have personal experience with the demographic to be like, okay, is it Is it helpful for me to focus on this group of people? Is it like insincere or, you know, in in some ways like shitty? And I was, I struggled with it for a while. And then I was just like, these are, these are people who need kindness and respect that aren't getting it. I have the ability and the skill set to give it to them, so I'm just going to lean into it. But the nice thing about it. publicly doing it is that people do reach out to me. So there are advisors um, that do work with sex workers, which is awesome. The the hard thing is that most advisors, just because of the backlash and because it's such a specific market, don't publicly associate with those groups. And so one of the yeah. things yeah. why I'm, like, so clear in my messaging is that um, – I don't want my clients to have to like come out to me. And it's the same thing with advisors who post LGBTQ friendly or that they're polyamorous or whatever on their website. There's an understanding then that when clients come to them, they don't have to worry about whether that person is going to be uncomfortable or like disrespectful to their experience. It's like, oh, this person's already safe and so I can share. Um, So that's really you know, why I, I leaned into it so hard of, I guess, not just my marketing, but my branding of like, I want people to know that I'm a safe place, that like, this is the only thing I'm focusing on and that I'm really going to have a tailored experience to the sex worker industry.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing I definitely want to make sure we have time to get to, because you mentioned that with sex workers, there are some very different experiences that they have inside financial services there are ways that they have to navigate the system because of the the discrimination that they face whenever they're you know bringing their money to the table so tell us a little bit about that and how you've some of the things you found that you've discovered and how you have handled it
1: yeah so i think um I was somewhat, I mean, I think that everyone is always naive when they first start something. I was kind of naive of the actual problems of what sex workers were facing. Um, I'm not completely wrong, but initially when I started, I was really just like, advisors don't, and advisors and like professional CPAs, attorneys just like won't work with that clientele because they, they, they feel morally or they have stereotypes that like they don't want to. So there's just... It, really, the issue is just that they don't want to associate with those clientele. Yeah, it's it's and a moral like, issue. I yeah. am cool with that, so I'll lean into it. Yeah, and and that is absolutely part of it, and I've gotten a lot of backlash because of that, especially since I grew up very religious and, and Christian-esque. Um, but a bigger part of it is that these individuals are uh, – <laughs> Sex workers, it's not like a, a static thing that they are always a sex worker and that's their only part of their, their identity. Like they have families and they have other careers and they're often like very educated and very good business people. So a lot of times when people talk to me, like when they know what I work who I work with, they're like, oh, that's great because, you know, sex workers are always just like spending their money and not saving and they need to save for retirement, which is really simplifying the experience of like saying like, oh, yeah, you should work with these people because they're stupid and they don't understand how to work with their finances. That's That's not it. I mean, like there is a large spectrum of people. So sometimes you have clients that are uh, not as smart as others, but generally the people that I work with, it's not that they don't have the discipline to put money in different buckets and do the right things. It's that the system that they're working with is skewed against them and is actively discriminating against them. So for instance, I've, um, you know, I have had a client that previously she had um, money in a Wells Fargo bank account um, and her assets were frozen um, for like, I want to say it was like nine months. She wasn't able to access them because in the terms and conditions of uh, the user agreement with Wells Fargo, there's like a morality clause. And this is there at most banks and institutions. It, it's kind of crazy, actually. But basically, the morality clause is like you know, if you engage in any obscene or pornographic or sexually explicit activity, we have the right to freeze or seize your assets. And no one. No one reads terms and conditions. Like we all know, we don't have to because we assume that the system is fair. I guess so. We're like, if they put this, they wouldn't put something that you check the box and then they can take your money. Like that's not the assumption that we have, mm-hmm. at least in the United States. Yeah. Um. So. So it's really hard for individuals because, like. Um, if you're in a discriminated group, like obviously people are advocating for themselves, but there's, there's that liability of like, I don't necessarily want to call my bank and be like, Hey, I'm a sex worker. Are you going to discriminate against me? Um, So one of the things that I've been doing, (laughs) one of the things I've been doing a lot that I have the advantage of doing because I'm not a sex worker is calling institutions. And like my last, I guess, probably month or two has just really been focused on reading terms of conditions to find morality clauses if I find them or don't find them reaching out to the institutions and being like, why is this a thing can you come out and say that you're sex worker friendly? Because like, I'm not going to recommend to my clients that they keep their emergency fund in Wells Fargo if there's the possibility that Wells Fargo is going to like seize or freeze those assets. And it's especially coming from, like, you know, because you're a financial planner, but coming from my financial planner background of like having all of these boxes and the steps that you follow, it kind of doesn't apply because there's so many other risk factors. Um, And all of my clients, I didn't talk about this earlier, but all of my clients, um, to be my client. Um, you have to be working legally in your area. You have to be accurately reporting your taxes. And that's just for my, because I'm registered with the state and I have to jump through a right. bunch of hoops. That's not like a, a morality thing for me, but I just want my business not to be shut down. But my clients are all interacting completely legally.
0: So there's there's no reason that these institutions should be discriminating against them. I hope you have found some advocates and some people in the industry to to work with you know, who are those people? And then are there institutions that you've been able to connect your clients with where they don't have morality clauses or there's not as much, there's not stigma attached to the interaction?
1: Yeah. I mean, that is a, that's a really big part of what I'm doing. Um, And I would say even more so than a lot of times we think about like investments and financial planning being the core of what we're doing. And it's not that I I don't do that, but I would say the main focus is trying to find like safe and professional processes and people that my clients and not even just my clients, like the sex worker industry in general can work with. So I recently released like a banking and crypto um, best practices document. It's like it's not behind like a paywall or anything, cool. um, but basically being like this is how you should. Separate your assets. This is how you, um, best practices for separating, you know, between, um, kind of like your sex worker identity and your government identity, um, to protect yourself. Um, and part of that goes along with, you know, here are the institutions that have said that they, you know, supposedly are, don't discriminate or are, um, are supportive of sex workers. Here are the like the CPAs, here are the attorneys. Um, so I have found those people. And part of it too, is just that like, it's not the large, it's not going to be, at least right now, it's not going to be the large organization like Wells Fargo, like being like, sure, it's fine. So it's like, part of it is just that, you know, there probably is a bank out there that's like, an ally and super supportive. And I just have to find them and be able to share that with my clients. Right. Um, so that's one. I actually have a call with yep. a bank this afternoon that I like fingers crossed um, is going to say that they're sex worker friendly just because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm awesome. giving people the resources to succeed. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's a, a big part of what I'm doing.
0: So if you can't put money in a bank, right? Then like, why don't you just keep it in a jar? Or you know why? But what's in that? What's happening as a result of that is that your clients uh, can't buy houses. Your clients can't you know get custody of kids in custody uh, you know uh, arrangements. Like it, it's. It's affecting yeah. their personal life and their ability to build wealth and their ability to create wealth for their future generations of their family. Like it's a huge deal beyond just the ability to house money inside of a bank account.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it runs really deep and I, I like sort of feel like I fell into like this death. Trap conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy theory. It's just like the the normal life that people deal with um, if they're if they're sex workers or in other stigmatized groups. But um, yeah, I mean, like so. Generally speaking, there's kind of like you know you technically can live somewhat off the grid. You can just take cash for things. You can pay for things in cash. There is an ability, and and I live in Humboldt County, and a lot of the cannabis community does that. They stay off the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, that really keeps you from participating in a lot of the structures and game that is capitalism. And um, I won't get into it, but I'm not a big fan of how the systems work. I don't think they're fair, yada, yada. However, you st- we're still here. We have to play right. the game. So that's a lot of the conversation right. I have with clients of like, even if you're not supportive, like I don't expect you to be supportive of how the housing system works and how um, you know landlords work and the IRS and and you know the government in general. However, you're really keeping yourself in a part of society that that can't, in a lot of cases, move past the poverty line or mm-hmm. move into another area of sec- of security in your economic situation because you aren't a part of this and and part of it is is what we talked about of like um you know to get most leases and to get a mortgage you have to have proof of income um so if you don't have you know your your pay stubs from your employer and your small business then you have to show them like your balance sheet and that's something that a sex worker can do but you have to be working with an institution that's respectful of that you have to understand how to do it and there's not a lot of structures telling people how to do it. So that's one of the things I'm doing, but I, it, it runs into each angle. Like, um, even if you're doing like childcare or you want to pay for your kid to go to private school, or you want to pay for your kid to go to college, like the, all of those systems are connected and talk to each other, especially like the, the, you know, like financial services departments of each of those. So if you Mm -hmm. are like a nomad and you don't have anything to report, you very quickly can't get far in the system. Um, And the same thing with having, you know, healthcare or um, paying your taxes or um, any sort of like government programs um, to help people. And um, it all just kind of runs together. And so you have to figure out how to play the game, how to interact with the system in a way that is helpful to you. And so, um, you know, part of my work is finding those people that are going to treat my clients fairly, and part of it is advocating for the change that I want to see. And I quickly realized that, you know, the clients that I'm working with generally are opting into the sex work system. They have options because they have enough money to pay me, right? (laughs) There is a whole spectrum of people who um, you know, would love to be doing something else or are doing this for a period in their life and want to change. Um, and so I try as much as I can to have like the work I'm doing also benefit them. So it's not just like the, the upper crust.
0: Yeah. 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 And that's cool because I see that really in so many niche firms. Yeah. I just got off the phone with a uh, Trayton who is like, he was saying the same thing. Like I, you know, yeah. I'm getting so specific with my firm and the clients that I yeah. work with, but there's this level, like below that level, I still want to help. And, you know, creating systems yeah. for that. I think it's, it's, I'm excited to see where this goes for you and for the financial services industry, because it, it really challenges so much of what's wrong and gives a, a meaningful reason why it's wrong and a, yeah. su- a supported reason to fight for the changes that need to be made for the benefit of so many other people beyond sex workers but it's specifically yeah. affecting them in such a um in, in such a, su- a suppressive and oppressive way that there's reason yeah reason to fight to change that um I, I think we'll I've got one more question and then we'll end here you know I love yeah. the the conversation that we had you mentioned that you know wh- one of the things and there's so much overlap to any other financial services na- niche is helping them understand the importance of wealth building for the long term and what do they need to do to get their lives you know set up so that they, maybe they have options now and they're choosing to be a sex worker, but I don't know anybody who wants to choose to do any kind of work after age 70. So, you know, uh, but it it requires some work to get to that point. So in order to continue to have options throughout their life and in their finances and in their wealth, there are things that they need to be doing. So what are some of those things that you're doing with them to help them help set them up for the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely parallels, too. I think that even just in general, retirement is kind of changing. People are kind of like, I don't like – I probably want to work after 50 but i want it to be optional or i want it to be something that's more interesting for me to do and a lot of times for sex workers it's like it's not that they're even disliking like if they're a dancer it's not that they're like necessarily disliking dancing it's that being on your feet in the middle of the night for long periods of time isn't something that's really sustainable for anyone even if you love doing it and so being able to figure out how do i transition you know how do i build safety nets um a lot of times if you, a lot of the safety nets that we have, like even like the two of us are dependent on if you have a spouse or if you have parents or if you have those structures in place, a lot of times because of the stigmatized works, stigmatized work, those structures are being displaced in their life. So it's about, mm-hmm. you know, um, putting, it's about, you know, understanding the benefits of health insurance. It's about putting those emergency funds into place. It's about um, you know building up a nest egg so you can transition to a different line of work if you want to or even like a different line of work within sex work um, but a lot of it is are the same strategies as the, you would use with other clients it's just that we're making sure first and foremost that those banking institutions or right. those custodians are going to be respecting the clientele and not discriminating based on um, You know, based on their occupation. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the benefit that I have is just that. And one of the reasons why I'm so loud right now is um, I want to a lot of these institutions have never thought about it. They like probably internally they've discriminated against it, but they're like the people in the C-suite have never been like, I wonder if we should treat sex workers like humans or not. (laughs) I don't know. And then they like go get coffee. You know, um so part of it is like why I'm in cuz my clients don't really read like the wealth management magazines. But one of the reasons that I'm like in there is to kind of like be in people's face of like, hey, like learn about this. This is part of society like there's no reason for you to discriminate it, discriminate yeah. against these I need, people I need like more people educate caring yourself. About this. Yeah, like, be uncomfortable now so that, like, when you meet a sex worker, you're like, oh, I remember that article I read about someone not treating you like shit. And that would be interesting. I wonder if I tried that. Um,
0: so, you know, <laughs> that's you a lot have of it. such um, multi You have such multi-level work that you're doing right now. So um, I will close this out just by saying if, you know, if your story – impacted anybody listening to the show and you're in a position of power in, you know, the banking in, industry and I know you mentioned mortgage lending industry and CPAs, yeah. uh, you know, CPA firms and, um, you know, attorney firms. Like what, uh, what other ones are you? Yeah. Um, custodians. Yeah, um, a lot. Yeah. That? Custodians is a big one right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any like in, any others that has that has overlap with what we do as planners, please reach out to Lindsay and connect with her. And I mean, I know, like I said from our conversation before, and even through this conversation, you're do you're doing your due diligence. You're doing the work. You're reading through those disclosures and uh, the terms of you know terms of service. It, it's just a matter of someone on the other end of that caring enough to meet you there. And figure out how to, you know, make it more equitable for sex workers and for other discriminated groups. And so, all she's there. You're in it. You just need somebody to meet you. I'm here. A minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I absolutely want contact. And also, just like a like a Seth
1: said request like if you're supportive of me and you can't say it publicly for whatever re- reason like please message me privately and tell me because I have a yeah. lot of people messaging me privately to tell me they aren't supportive so I would love to like balance out the scales of like, <sighs> like please tell me that please tell me that like there's someone out there that is supportive of what I'm doing. Um, cause sometimes there's a lot of like backlash. Or
0: something. Yeah. Head trash. Oh my gosh. Like I'm not a yeah. hugger, but I want to reach through the, through the screen and hug you. I'm just like that. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to let Lindsay uh, close this out with how we can get in touch with you. if We want to reach out. What are your best ways? For yeah. Coming?
1: So, um, basically everything is stripper financial planning um so i'm the most active on twitter right now which is like stripper financial planning but like kind of suppressed so it's like stripper mm-hmm. um and i'm on instagram um i do have a sub stack as well if you want to subscribe to that um and i also have a podcast escape of vanilla so if anyone's interested in being on my podcast um we talk about a bunch of things but um also ice cream so if you're interested in ice cream um but yeah i would love okay. to hear from you um reach out